Yeah, not bad, bro. How are you, man? I'm all right, mate. The sun's shining outside. I wish I was outside, but I'm just chilling in my kitchen. I want to go outside, man, but, like, the Wi-Fi for me is terrible and 3G when I go outside. So I've got to stay yeah. in. It's yeah, terrible, man. But at least what, the sun's wi out. Yeah, Wi-Fi struggles are real. Definitely, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wi-Fi during this time has been the worst. It's been, it's been terrible, man. But because everyone's just killing it. Everyone in the streets just rinsing the Wi-Fi. That's why. <laughs> How you been during quarantine anyway, bro? Mate, do you know what? Like, like typically, I thought I'd be a lot, like, I think I'd be, I thought I'd be a lot worse. I thought I'd be a lot more bored and... Yeah. But inherently, I'm quite a bit... Like, in terms of me as a person, in terms of my personality, I'm a bit of a worrier. So, like, I, yeah. I, I, don't, like, I don't like situations that I can't control. Like, without sounding like a control freak, I like to be able to make plans and stick to my plans and kind of achieve my goals. And the fact that this has kind of all been kind of taken out of our hands, normally I'd be kind of a bit concerned about it all. But yeah. to be honest, like, I think that the only, the only comfort that I'm taking is where everyone is in the same situation. Like, I've, I've been, like unusually calm about the whole thing i've just been kind of taking time to spend time with my wife or my daughter um just trying to be as creative as possible i've been making lots mm. of music um obviously i've been doing quite a few live streams and whatnot yeah. which i've neglected massively i hadn't done no mixes or no live streams for a long long time um so i've just used the time to kind of just reconnect really and I've, i think i've connected with more djs in this last couple of months than i have done probably in the last two years which that's is literally again, been that's literally been me as well I, I you know what when I was telling a couple of people like Hursty and like all these other DJs, and I was saying like I only know I only knew them lot. I did not yeah. know anything out of that circle. So like kind yeah. of like you, you kind of knew your circle. Didn't know yeah. anything really else about outside mm. that. So it's been weird just kind of getting to know so many other DJs around the country. And like there's stuff so, like that. There's so, yeah, like there's so many DJs that I've known of for a long time, and I've spoke to kind of briefly on like social mm. media. We've had like quick conversations, or we've done like had like little spats on Twitter with little conversations on Twitter and stuff like that, but people that I've actually reached out to and had more in-depth conversations with. And yeah. it's been good to kind of just connect with just new people. Like, you know, DJing is really one big massive family. Like, we're all in the, in the same game. Yeah. Like, it's, it's hard out here. Do you know I mean? So if you can kind of bounce ideas off each other and kind of show support in a time like this, then I think it's just going to make everything and everyone stronger as we come out of it. Have you kind of enjoyed quarantine? Or has yeah, it kind of been... Like, Mate, you're like you know now I, you're kind of done or no yeah I, I'm, re I'm definitely ready to come out of it now like i think the first few weeks i kind of enjoyed it and the last couple yeah. of weeks are getting like a little bit more of a struggle with like, the sort of deeper we go into it but and it's just a bit concerning like to think like i generally don't know when we're going to be back like well certainly for myself i don't know when i'm going to be back in clubs i personally can't see myself djing in a nightclub again this year i just no, don't, I don't... it'll be a push to say december yeah, I think maybe like, yeah, Q4 earliest, like October, November, December, if we're lucky. But if not, I think we're looking at like, looking at early part of next year, which is mad. Like, because obviously I'm a full, like, DJing for me is my full-time full job. Time. It's, all I, yeah. it's all I do. So it's like, it is worrying. But at the same time, I think at the beginning, um, like, normally I'm so busy. Like, I, like, even like, I don't get any time to rest ever. Like, I work like three, four nights a week. Obviously, like I say, I'm, like, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. Like, I've got a lot of shit going on at home. So I'm pretty flat out all the time. So I think yep. the first few weeks was a real nice thing. The fact that like where my diary was just empty, it was like, right, I can just actually just take a breath and just chill mm. and just actually kick back and have some time to actually relax, which I don't often get at all, which has been really, really nice. Um, but yeah, now the boredom's starting to really sort of set in. I do want to yeah, get back yeah. to you as quick as we can. When did it kind of set in for you that this was going to be like a long, like a long kind of quarantine period? Like when did it kind yeah, of like, set in stone? 
Yeah, I don't really think it like hit me for the first couple of weeks. I think I was like, oh, this is, I, I, I kind of just thought like everybody else, like I thought it was just going to blow over. Yeah. I thought like, I thought the government kind of had it under control at first and where we were kind of like, we didn't have too many signs of it getting too serious. I thought, oh, we're probably going to be one of them lucky countries. It's going to kind of hit us in a small way and then we'll kind of go back to normal. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was when, I think when we went into the first bit of lockdown and then I think they were talking about, it's when we went in, I think, when was it when we went in, I think like the end of March and they said, like, March, now yeah. yeah, now you've like, when they were like, you've really got to stay home now. And I was like, I was chatting to my missus and I was just like, well, what's going to happen if this goes on for like six months? And we were just yeah. like, it's just mad. Like, but even, even my daughter come at, like, come into me, she was like, she finds it crazy that obviously when we was in school, like, I'm obviously 36, so, so I was in school a long time ago, but like we was learning about things like the plague and stuff like that and how that This is going to be a history question, man. <laughs> in like yeah, 10 years' time, like, this will be a history question. Yeah, that's what I mean. She came into me, she went to me, Dad, she went, don't you find it mad that like when like kids get older in school, they're going to be learning about COVID-19, like we learn about the plague. And I was like, do you yeah. know what? It's, and my daughter's only 13. And for her to come and say to me, yeah, like in years to come, they're going to be teaching this in history class, like a global lockdown never happened mm-hmm. before. It's just mad. It's just it's crazy. It'll be it'll be in geography. It'll be in a lot. It'll be in a lot of subjects because economies hit hard in every in every country. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know what? It's it's weird because, like you said, at the start I thought this was just going to be a month thing, and it's weird because obviously before you were having gigs, um, I was having gigs and loads of other DJs were having gigs, so I never even thought this was going to be an issue for us. Like, I kind of knew it was there. But in, when it yeah. got to like Feb, end of February, then I kind of heard of more cases coming in the Europe in Europe and stuff. So I was like, okay, yeah. maybe it's a little thing. But yeah, it's crazy now. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, and I just like I say, I just like I was trying to kind of stay optimistic at first and that. But the more I listened, the more you think logically about in terms of like, like the spread of the virus. I just think like in terms of clubs, you got to think, man. Like, I mean, you DJ in clubs of like two hundred and fifty, like to four hundred people packed in a small little room. You've got like air conditioning in there, pumping all kinds of like. All you need is one, one like look what happened in South Korea. You got that one. Yeah, that one person who like, infected a hundred and eight people or something like that. You know what I mean? So it, just shows you the, it just shows you the scale of how fast it can replicate and get in like. And do you know what I mean? Like as much as I want to go back to work, ultimately like you got to try and put your health and your safety first. And it is yeah, don't get me wrong, like it's, like it's long not working. Like I, I feel everybody out there right now that's not you know, not got no work and it's tough right now. It's hard, but we've just got to try and stay strong and just try and work through this as quick as we can together. Definitely. Like, it's... Man, like Joe Lobel locked in, yeah? Yeah. Got him after you, bro. Yeah, I see you got him at 4pm. Yeah, Joe's yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got, got a lot of time for Joe. Joe's another guy that I said, like, we only really like started linking up on Instagram Messenger a little while ago. I've never actually met Joe in real life, but yeah, you know, you just get them people that you like, even just through messages, you just feel like they're just real people. Like they're just nice people. Like Joe's mm. always made a lot of time to reach out to me. He always shows support on my stuff and my mixes, my posts. And I just think that's what the DJ scene needs more of. You know, it, it, you know what? It's changed. This period has changed a lot of DJs. Yeah, 100%. It's changed a lot because a lot of people were just kind of like, it's, which is fine. Like stay in your circle. I don't want to look at anyone else. This is my, which is fine. But it's just like, now it's kind of opened everyone up to actually talking to new people and getting to know different lifestyles and, you know. Yeah. That's why I think what you're doing is so good though, bro. Like, I, don't, I haven't seen many people doing it. And I just like, that's why I was so keen to get involved because I've seen yeah. you interviewing a lot of people, like guys that I know, like I know a lot of the guys you've interviewed on a personal level. And I just thought, you know what it is? Like, not, there's not enough, like people, that, there's not enough connection that goes on. You don't get to kind of see 
You don't see the ups and downs of it. You just everyone yeah, sees kind of the ups on your social media. Yeah, everyone just sees you playing, like, playing the bookings and playing the gigs, but no one realizes yeah. what like, the struggles that you've been through or the journey that you've been through to get where you are. And you know, I just think it's good for people to just share stories because you know, you can any anyone can learn from anything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So any, anything that you can learn from is going to help you and benefit you, and that's 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 a positive for everyone. Definitely. So going to the start of your career, how did DJing kind of start for you? How did everything begin? Mate, that was a long time ago. You're bringing out my age now. <laughs> oh, you already said your age. You already said your age, bro. Bro, the grey hair is real. This, this grey beard hair has come in the last 12 months. It catches up with you quick, trust me. But um, I basically, my DJ for me kind of started as a bit of a, a bit of like a, not an accident, but just like, it was, you know, I was so young. I was 11 years old when I, when I started playing on my first set of turntables. Yeah. And it's really much, so my dad was head of A&R for Sony Records for years. Like he worked mm -hmm. with like Michael Jackson, like Abba, Sade, like massive, massive acts. So I was always, I'd always grown up in a household that was just surrounded with different musical genres, like from like UB40, Bob Marley, like the Culture Club, like rock bands like the Beatles, REM, like mad, mad musical influences all around me all the time. And then when I got to like 11, my older brother's like four years older than me. So he was like 15, 16 at the time. And it's when like Gary's music was really, really popping. And it was like, mm -hmm. he used to go out to like different raves with his friends and stuff. And he was buying up the old Sun City tape packs that any old school garage DJ will know what Sun City is. Like it was one of the biggest garage raves out at the time. And obviously back in the day before we had iPhones and all these fancy stuff, we had obviously tape cassettes. Yeah. And he used to buy the tape packs and stuff and bring them home and he used to play them in the house. So I'd hear him playing his garage tunes. And then he bought himself like a pair of, bearing in mind, my brother's partially deaf, right? So the fact okay. that he even tried to DJ is mad. But he basically bought himself a pair of like Omnitronic belt drive decks. They were like proper bait, like old school. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Hardest, the, like, the hardest things that you could learn to mix on was like Omnitronic or Citronic belt drive turntables. They're so slow on the like release of the tune and everything. And he bought himself like a two-channel little mixer, a couple of turntables. And he used to have his friends around before they used to go out. And he yeah. started kind of trying to DJ in that and he couldn't really get to terms with it. And then I used to sneak in his room as like an 11 year old kid and like mess around on his decks. I had no idea what I was doing at all, like playing like old garage tunes and that. And then just through like pure perseverance, mate, it's just like, I just, I don't know what, like what made me stick with it for such a long time, but I just stuck with it. It probably took me like a good, like two years, but I got to maybe about 13 and then I just like, just gradually and slowly through just the perseverance of learning how to beat match and, stuff like that. I just managed to kind of grasp what, what it was mm. all about. And then from that point on, I was just hooked, mate. And then he used to have all his friends when they used to come around my house before they used to go out, he'd make me come in his room and do them like a live Gary set before they went out. So I'd be in his room DJing to like 12 of his mates in the room. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. And I used to go to, I used to go like record shopping every weekend to go to like upmarket, black, um, uptown records, black market records, uptown, um, like spend every single pen that I had, mate, on like white labels. So you were hooked. And... Yeah, man. I was like, I used to go into the record shops and just be like a little pest and be like, what new white labels have you got? And they'd be like, no, you can't have them. And then they'd be under the counter and I'd be just like begging people to give me the best tunes and that. Do you know what I mean? And they used to pull yeah. them out. And and it kind of just went from there and it just continued on. And then from like, say, from so like 11 years old was when I first kind of got involved in music, really. And then from 13 onwards, when I could actually DJ, it was just like, friends parties at school like house parties birthdays and it went on to pirate radio and then from pirate radio it kind of then it turned into the club stuff like when i was yeah. around about 20 about 20 21 years old so from from then how, what was your first gig what was your first clubbing gig so my first ever, yeah my first ever nightclub gig was a place in kingston near where i'm from 
Yeah. And it's a, it's a club called Essence. And I, so I started working in around 2006. I started working as a promoter for a company called Scintillate, who are like, um, you've probably seen them at their stuff. They do a lot of stuff in Marbella. Yeah. Um, and they used to run clubs all over London. Like they, they used to have like four or five nights on a Saturday night. Um, and I remember being in Kingston one time and their DJ who was meant to come and play and I was promoting and I had a guest list and whatnot. So I was down there anyway. Um, and I had like a bag of CDs in my car. This is before like laptops and stuff. I used to have like, all my CDs in my car. And um, the DJ that was meant to come and play was in a car accident. And the two oh. guys, Gary and Glenn, the two brothers that was running the, uh, who run Scintillate, they was like running around like headless chickens. I didn't know what to do. They had no DJ in that. And I said to them, like, they said to me, like, do you know any DJs? And I was like, bro, I can DJ. Like, if you need me to jump on the decks, I will jump on. And they was like, what can you mix? I was like, yeah, come on, man. I've been DJing since I was 13 years old. And they had no idea. Mm. So I literally went on that night, like, completely blew the roof off. And then from that point on, they booked me every Saturday. And I was at that club for five years. I had a five-year residency at that venue. Wow. So that was my first booking that shouldn't even really have been a booking. It just happened to come by chance. It just happened. And I just grabbed the opportunity, went, went and grabbed my... CD case out of the back of the car, jumped on, shut it down, and then just yeah, from that that point on, I got a five year residency. And them guys used to send me to like all over the country. Like I'd finish work on a Friday night, and I'd come home, get ready, I'd drive to like Birmingham, I'd yeah. go and play in Brum for like all night. So like do like ten till three o'clock. I'd finish in Birmingham, go and stay in a hotel. Next day, go and drive up to Leeds, play in Leeds, and then like mm. on the Sunday, come back to London. I used to do some mad journeys, but I'd go up to like Derby and back in one night just because I knew I needed to get up there to go and promote my name outside of London. Um, wow, so you so were travelling from young, basically. You were yeah, yeah, going up and down the country. Yeah, from like 22 years old. Like, most of my bookings at like 22 was like in either like Derby, like Nottingham, Leeds, Birmingham, Liverpool. Yeah. They weren't, I didn't really have no London bookings because they wouldn't really... They wouldn't really give you a London booking if you were like untested. So they wanted to go and send you like, up the country to go and see how you got on before they start stick you in the West End. Because um, a lot of people ask me like, hey, you know, like, like breaking into the West End is hard. It's a hard scene to crack. Play. That's what I was going to get onto as well. Just like, yeah, how, how did that even come about for you? Like getting again, into the West End? Yeah, again, it was mainly through them guys. Like, they used to run a night called, um, it was on Aura nightclub in May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a, yeah. On, a, on, a, on a Tuesday night. And they booked me on my first, no, it was a Thursday night. So they booked me on my first ever Thursday night at Aura. Um, and I played there and I obviously done well there. And they started booking me at all their other nights. So it was like clubs like, these clubs are gone now, but they're clubs like Vendome, like Studio Valbonne. There's a club called Mayer. Um, like the old school funky Buddha that used to run on a Tuesday night. Mm. So I basically played all over the West End for Sinterday. And then I think it must have been around about 2008. Like they got a little bit funny when I started getting quite a lot of booking inquiries from other promoters who obviously were yeah. seeing my name on flyers and whatnot and seeing me in London quite a lot. And then I was getting a lot of inquiries from other, from other promoters. And then they got a bit funny when I tried to start working for other people and they tried to say, like, oh, you're exclusive to us. And and I just kind of made the decision. I said, I'm not never going to, as much as they've been really good to me, and we left on good terms, but I just said that I need to be able to, like, I need to be able to grow my brand and branch out and grow my name with other people. Um, and I can't do that if I'm just working for you guys. So yeah. just made the decision to basically go out on my own. And it was, like, the best thing that I'd ever done because once I started working for other promoters and then other crowds started to get to hear me play and stuff like that, then my bookings from then just really just spiraled out, just, like, spiraled out of control, really. So... With, um, as you're saying, you don't want to be tied down to just one kind of thing. Did you start building up a contract after that? Or did you kind of stay as just independent or going yeah, to no, just, Yeah, no, I've, I've always been independent. I've never really been like, 
other than them guys, I was never really exclusive to anyone. So I started working for um, my friend Joe Courtney that runs a thing now. <clears throat> he's obviously mature now. He's moved on to other things, but he runs yeah. an event called Soul Town Festival, which is a massive soul festival. But Joe used to run a brand called um, called Say La Vie back in the day. And that was at a club called Embassy on a Thursday night, which is in Savile Row. Yeah. So I started, I started working for Joe. I used to work for my friend Jay Sexton, who runs um, the IB for spray parties now. He ran a brand called Dolce Parties. I was working for Jay, doing bits at Alto on a Wednesday and Aura as well. My older brother ran a brand called Nightplay Parties. So I was working for him and I was working for um, Jermaine J Funk for Unique, doing bits and pieces for them. <clears throat> um, so obviously I couldn't really like make myself exclusive to anyone because I needed to, yeah. to work for all of these guys because they were running the biggest parties in London right at, at that time. Um, so I would just play every every night of the week. I'd be at a different club for a different promoter, um, and that's really kind of what took me to what to get to where I, you know, to, mm. to be able to progress through that through that crowd. So you see, with all these events, right? Do you think that after quarantine, it's going to be more event based because clubbing is quite dead in general, or do you think that's actually not the case? Yeah, I think so. I think the clubs are going to take a while to get their just general kind of gist of things back, doing things by themselves. So I think they're going to a lot of clubs. They kind of went through back in the day. They used to get promoters in to obviously pack the venues, yeah. and then what they would do, they keep them on for a little while, and then they'd get rid of the promoter, hoping that they could try and retain that promoter's crowd. It never really works that way, though, because mm. the crowd are loyal. The crowd are loyal to the to the party and to the promoter, not to the club, and the crowd will follow that club and, and that promoter and brand to whatever the club they go to. But some yeah. clubs don't. Really, they don't really get that. They just think that oh, the club's busy now. We don't <clears> need <throat> anymore. People are going to come anywhere regardless. Um, but I think that. And that changed for a little while where clubs wouldn't really give them the whole night to a promoter anymore, which back in the day they used to. And I think now they're going to realise that the numbers are down and they're going to need all the help they can get. So I think yeah. they're going to be more willing. I think they're going to be more willing now to go and work back with promoters again. What's your take on like the West End scene coming out of quarantine? Like, do you think everything's going to go up in price as well? And do you think they're still going to maintain the crowd? Because obviously the West End scene is mainly dominated by the Europeans. Mm. And Arabics who come down to get them to give the club revenue. Yeah. So, personally, I don't think they're going to come back because obviously this whole quarantine and all of this stuff. So, what's your kind of take on that? Do you think it's going to take yeah. them a while to get back up? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Like, I'm like, I'm resident at a club called Tramp in Mayfair, yeah. which is like a private members club, and that's yeah. probably I say eighty percent of their their clientele is probably Arab. Um, and obviously, when Ramadan is on um, in the summertime. And also just in the summertime in general, because they leave. Yeah, they so in the summertime they leave. They actually a lot of them leave like Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and like Dubai mm -hmm. because where it's so strict over there and everything shuts down, they can't party. They want to continue to party, so they come over to here to party. Okay. And also, and also, it's so hot in the Middle East. They come yeah, to, yeah. To, to London to get away from the heat. Um, and then typically it kind of goes a little bit more quiet in the winter time when obviously all the Arabs have gone home. Um, so I do think that a lot of venues that rely on that kind of clientele that they're not going to have this year, if they do even open this year, I do yeah. think they're going to start to struggle. But I think the thing is, if you if you up your prices to try and fill the gap that you're losing because of them guys, you're then going to just like isolate the people that are coming out that can't afford to spend that kind of money. Do you know what I mean? So it's a really fine line about how <clears> they're going to kind of approach it to try and not lose too much of their credibility with their, with mm. their crowd. Um, mate, do you know what it is like? It, there's just so many great areas. Like, there's so many unanswered. You know what? No one knows what's. Like, no one knows what's happening. No one that's knows the thing, what's like, happening. Literally, like that's the hard thing about it. You, you could literally say like 
you could find 10 people that'll have a different opinion about the whole thing. And that's, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest worry is that it's the uncertainty that's around it. No one really knows what the hell is going to happen. You know do, you, mean? do you get worried about your residencies like coming out of quarantine? Do you think that there's going to be people the promoters may look to during quarantine? Or do you think everyone's going to, everyone's going to go back to how it used to be and then see what happens and go from there? Yeah, most most of the promoters that I know, they use the same DJ lineup all the time, and they have done for like the past five years. And it's very yeah. difficult to break into a lot of the promoters. You have to understand a lot of the promoters who have brands, all the DJs that they know, they're all their fr a lot of them are their friends from friends. school. So mm. like a lot of them, are, they've had mad tight relationships for a long time. It's very very difficult for inf to infiltrate that. Um, and that's kind of I think, what, going back to what I said earlier about the reason why I never kind of like just pigeonhole myself to, deep, to working with one person because I tried to forge as many relationships as I could. Yeah. So I could always, because you know, one promoter suddenly says, oh, I've had enough, I'm packing up my brand, and you've been with that, that promoter for five years and you've got no you've got some, You've got somewhere to go to if you, if yeah, you had if branched you've got, out. Yeah, if you've got no other relationships, like, and you, you rely on that one guy and he suddenly says, I'm, I've had enough, you know, you practically all your work is just suddenly gone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but I do think that I do think promoters will be taking note of what's going on in lockdown about like in terms of who's active and who's trying to kind of be um, to kind of stay current and bits and pieces like that. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to get. I don't particularly think that doing like the live streams and that is really going to get you any more work than what you had before. Mm. I think it's still going to be the same hustle. I think what I'm more concerned, I'm not concerned about, but what I think is what's going to be more, what's going to be occurring more is the fact that where the clubs are going to be so desperate to open and they've not earned so much so much money for such a long time i think if you've got a residency that's on x amount of money the clubs are going to be looking to the, to those djs to say look we need to try and cut costs because we've not been open yeah. for, for however long and if you've got like a load of up-and-coming djs that are going to try and jump on the opportunity and say look i'll play for x then there's going to be a lot of conversations to be had between club residents and the club whether they're willing to keep paying the same money they were getting prior definitely so yeah, big I up Nathan Dorr just joined as well. Nathan Dorr just joined. So we and Nathan were talking about this as well. Like, when are we ever gonna see eighty thousand people in a stadium or like stuff like that? It's not. It's not gonna happen. Like, I generally can't see it for a good couple of years. Like, I I don't. I generally don't think yeah that the world is gonna go back to normal until they found a vaccine for this madness. I just can't see it because the thing is, no one really knows what's gonna happen. Like. Imagine you've got like 80,000 people going to like a Beyonce tour, like a Beyonce concert. And then you've got a couple of people and then like out of the 80,000 people, you've got like maybe a few hundred who, who go in and test positive for coronavirus. Suddenly yeah. you've got the whole of Wembley down with coronavirus. It's mad, like, not that I think that would happen, but I just think the authorities are going to be so afraid of things like spiraling out of control that they're not going to be like willing to open up things like that until they can categorically know that you can go somewhere and be safe. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing like concerts and that for a long, long time, which is mad to think. Like you've got even like right, I've just it's crazy. I was thinking the other day, like I was on like DJ City the other day, like looking at all the new music that's coming out yeah. and that, and like obviously you've got Drake just dropped a new album, Dom um, Dom Tolliver dropped a new album, Future drops a new album, but yeah, these I'm albums just Chris kind of Brown been, as well, Breezy and Young Fun, and they, these albums are kind of coming out, and I'm like, mate, like. In, by the time we even get into clubs to be able to play them tunes, they're going to be like six to eight months old. That's what I was going to say as well. Like, how do you know what to play when you're coming out of quarantine? Because, you know, yeah. you've got Drake, Tussie, Slide, you've got all of these tunes that are coming out, out now. But you're like, 
how do you even know if that's going to be big in a club? Mm. I think, but to be honest with you, like, mm. I can't. Yeah, I kind of feel like everything's just going to go on pause. Like, I kind of feel like, don't get me wrong, like that you're going to have to keep up with what's current because your people are going to be coming out and people do listen to Spotify in their cars and people aren't stopping in terms of their musical yeah. knowledge about what's, what's big and what's not. But I do think a lot of people, because they, in their head psychologically, they won't have been in a club when them tunes have been played. I still think that when them tunes get dropped in a club, the crowds will still react to that. Yeah, they'll still react. I think they will, but it's just like, you're going to have to test it, right? You're going to have to just yeah, put it yeah. in a set. If it don't yeah. work, you just take it down in like a minute or something. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. I think I think obviously what what you can always rely on is the old school bits because old yeah, school yeah, bits definitely. they're timeless, so you can always rely on them. So it's going to be just a case of being a little bit more open minded and creative about how and when you play things. And like you said, if something doesn't work, just whip it out real quick. Put a little echo out and a little sound. <laughs> a little echo out, little done. So DJing in like places like Tramp, how do you find it like with the clientele? Like it must help you with your DJ sets as well, you know, getting like a lot of international music as well and everything like that. Yeah, like you have to, like, yeah, it's a little bit different. Like when I go in there, like when they have bottle shows and stuff, I have to play like some like, mad Arabic songs I've never heard yeah. of. Um, and we have like an iPad set up in the booth. So like, because obviously I'm not going to have the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have an iPod, we have an iPad set up in a booth, like linked up to Spotify and YouTube, so we can pretty much get anything we want. But um, it just makes you more versatile because like, I'm telling you, some weeks I'll go in there and it'll be like a real hood crowd, like, and I can go <clears> in <throat> with the hip hop for the straight. Yeah. Like, I play in, when I play there, I play for six and a half hours, yeah, from like 11 o'clock till like five, five thirty in the morning. So it's a long set. First couple of hours, I'd normally warm up with like sort of like deep vocal, soulful house while it's just kind of mm. picking up. And then it's like from midnight onwards, it's just straight hip hop the whole night. Um, but then other nights, you'll get more of a kind of a diverse, like eclectic crowd and you'll have to go through like commercial house. Like you'll be dropping tunes like by like Avicii and like, yeah. I don't really dig that kind of stuff. Like, it's not really natural for me to play that time, that, that type of thing because it's not really like my, my musical genres, my go to genres for me that I absolutely love. My, my first love and will always be my first love is house. I love house. And then obviously hip hop and R&B because obviously I play in so many <laughs> hip hop and R&B clubs that that's become a passion of mine as well. Do you think that's helped you get in your gigs being like a more house DJ than hip hop R&B? It's a tough one, really. Like, so do you know what the thing about being an open format DJ brings a brings a huge challenge to itself for the fact that you like so let's say for argument's sake like house is my main if someone said to me tomorrow you could only pick one genre of music to play for the rest yeah. of your life and you can only play that it would be house for me i'd have to pick house yeah because house takes me somewhere where hip-hop narrowly doesn't like when i mix house i lose myself in like a next world i'm like in a trance it's like i get some next energy about me yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the problem is is obviously when when you get being taken seriously as a house dj when people see you play hip-hop and R&B, it's very difficult because people assume that because you play hip-hop and R&B, you're therefore not a serious house DJ. But then when people see you play house, they, don't, they, they, they assume that you're not a serious hip-hop and R&B DJ. Mm. There's a real kind of weird contrast there. So like the fact that you're open format, I mean, like you can play, you could go in from house to garage, from garage to hip-hop, to hip-hop to R&B, to soul, to Motown, to commercial pop, and then go back to house. That yeah. shows mad, but that shows crazy <clears throat> versatility, and that for me is like the signs of a real talented DJ, there's someone that can move through genres effortlessly like that. Yeah. But the problem is, is I think that, like I said before, like I've been, I've had people say to me when I've said to them, I've been like, I've contacted house promoters before because it's an area that I'm really trying to push hard on, and I've said to them like, 
But even me at 36, bro, I've been a, I've been a professional DJ for over 15 years. But I will happily, if it's, if it's a booking that I know it's an area that I want to that I want to press hard into, one I will play for free, and two I will play a warm up set. I, yeah. I'm not too, I'm not too proud to do anything. If I if I know it's a brand that, I, that I'd like to be associated with, bro, I'll play for free and I'll play warm up. Just put me on the bill and then let me do my thing and then judge mm. me on that performance and then let's talk about next bookings. But I've messaged house promoters before and said, and these are guys that I've known for a long time. I've messaged house promoters and said to them, like, what are you saying? Like, can I jump on? Like, I, you know, I'm really, really keen to get involved. And they've said to me, like, bro, you're not a house DJ, you're a hip-hop DJ. And I'm just like, why didn't you think that? Like, I don't yeah. understand why people think it. And then, and then the same thing when people reach out to me and they say, oh, can you, can you play hip-hop? And I'm like, yeah, why? And they're like, oh, but I see you doing house stuff. Like, I'm, I'm resident for a brand called Paravana, which is a sick house party. Yeah. And people have said to me before, oh, are you, have you stopped doing the hip-hop and R&B stuff now? Because I see you doing the Paravana bookings. So I'm like, no, bro, like, that's just the ne next thing that I do. Like, it's people not... kind of, there's, it's, it's weird because you've got the multi-genre and then you've yeah. got the, the DJs that just go in one genre. Mm. But those, in my opinion, those DJs are going to die out because yeah. with the amount of international people who come into London as well or UK in general, yeah. like, you're going to need to be multi-genre. Because... Oh, yeah, you, yeah you, 100%. You wouldn't get a booking in the West End if you can't play everything. Because mm. you're, there's going to there's gonna come, if you, like, even even if you're just a hip-hop and a, a hip-hop and a house DJ, <clears> there's going to be nights that you're going to go into venues where the, the crowd, that all they're going to want to hear is reggaeton. Okay, like, you say that, you say that, but let's say I'm going to take, I'm going to take, like, Libertine, right, for an example. Yeah. And Libertine, you'll never hear, you'll hear the bait reggaeton, reggaeton songs. Yeah, yeah, you won't hear, yeah. like... <laughs> it's all quite commercial and it's all commercial army hip hop. Like it's not. Yeah. yeah, there's certain clubs in London that you would like places like Tate, Liberty, yeah. like them clubs there. They're pure hip hop clubs, so you mm. would expect to go there and just hear hip hop. You might get some Afro beats thrown in, but any DJ that can play hip hop and R&B can play Afro beats. There's all the same BPM. It's not really yeah, yeah. difficult. It's just all about understanding what tunes are big and what tunes aren't. Um, but in terms of like, if you were to go to like, a, like I, like, I was resident at Cafe de Paris for like four years. I was a like DJ in the. Yeah, Cafe de Paris, like, like, again, it's like, um, it's smack bang in the middle of Leicester Square. So you get yeah. a hell of a lot of people just walking off the street. So it's a lot of tourists. So again, some nights you'll go in there and it'll be a student night and they'll want to hear UK music and they'll want to hear hip hop and Afro beats. And then the next week you go in there, it will be a bunch of foreign people that have got no idea what the hell Afro yeah. beats is. They've never even heard a UK track before in their life. So you'll spend your whole night playing commercial pop and reggaeton. So if you're not comfortable being able to move through like to have your mind mess because that's that sometimes it's a bit of a head fuck like you go mm. to one club and then because mentally you start <clears throat> to prepare yourself for the next week thinking all right well this week was live because i played next this and this and then you might look back over your like serato history and see what tunes kind yeah. of worked well and then you'll download a new music so you think what you're going to put into your set and you go there and the crowd couldn't be any more different to what it was the previous week so there's a little so, pattern here would you agree that reggaeton and house are the two genres that are the safest options you can go to because what when I see it, every country in the, in Europe listen to reggaeton. Even if it's like yeah. the smallest amount, they know all the you know, they know Ozuna, they know all of like J Balvin, they know all of yeah. them. So yeah. like all them guys, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's like the safest option because UK hip hop is just UK and a bit to Europe that will know it. Do you know what I I I'm actually blown away and gobsmacked at how much reggaeton in the UK has taken off. Like even <laughs> a, like it's, a couple it's, of years ago. It's, yeah. It's like taken off. Ago, yeah, like a couple of years ago, you might drop a couple of tunes, like, like, mm -hmm. like, like you said, like the popular J Balvin stuff, like, and things like that. But 
and you might throw like some old school bits in there, like Daddy Yankee and bits and pieces. But like now, I'd say probably in the West End, I'd say reggaeton probably makes up 40% of every set I play. Yeah. Because of the type of venues that I play at. Do you know what I don't particularly play, if I play hip hop clubs, it generally, it generally tends to be like for a guest set. So it's like a yeah. one to two hour set. But when I'm doing an all night booking, like to, I'm talking five or six hours, I'd say 40% of what I play is probably reggaeton now, which is mad. I think it's because also people want to dance more, right? Reggaeton is one of the easiest songs, like easiest genre to dance to, as well as dance hall bashment, blah, blah, blah. But <clears throat> reggaeton, I'd say, and house are the easiest to dance to because hip hop, there's only a certain amount of time you could DJ to that. Because I was speaking yeah. to O'Neill and he was saying, you could play house for 10 hours, he could get everyone dancing for 10 hours. Yeah, but if you're playing hip hop for 10 hours, no one's dancing for 10 hours. No. That's the thing I said about the house stuff. Like, even when I play house, like, I can play house sets for like a long, long time and never, never get bored because I can, yeah. take, I can take the journey so many different places with the different genres that you can play. Whereas with the hip hop stuff, to try and keep you, like, if you do a five hour hip hop set, to try and keep that same energy level throughout the whole thing is barely, it's borderline impossible. Because mm. the thing is, well, like, and, and the thing is, when you play like at venues which are have got crazy diverse crowds, like you're never gonna ever, like it's impossible to keep a hundred percent of the crowd happy all the time. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like you're gonna play, you're gonna play hip hop, which is gonna is gonna piss off the reggaeton heads, and then when you go to reggaeton, you're gonna piss off the house heads. Yeah, and then when you drop house, you're gonna piss off the hip hop heads as well. Like they hate. It. The thing is, what I realize is like UK hate anything that's not English, basically. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like, like the minute you play a house tune. The hip hop heads are like, bruv, I've had, I swear to God, yeah, and girls are the worst, by the way. Yeah. I've had, I've had girls literally in clubs when I've dropped a tune, and not even, not even necessarily a house track. Even if I'm playing, even if I'm, look up, big up, big up DJ Hursty. Reggae, reggaeton heads are animals. Reggaeton yeah, they are. are They're like, like reggaeton, 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 can you play this? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about when they say reggaeton as well? They don't just say, can you play reggaeton? And you notice how they always string out the R. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reggaeton, yeah. have to roll off the tongue. But yeah, the like, thing is, I know this as well. That's the funniest yeah. thing. But the thing is, like, I've had, brother, I swear to God, I've had chicks here in clubs. Yeah. When I drop a tune that they disapprove of, they will straight up stop dancing in the middle of the dance floor, look at me, either give me a thumbs down, tell you skip the tune, or just give you the worst screw face and do this. Oh my god! But Why are they part of the management like, team? <laughs> yeah, but it's just one of them things you have to learn to accept. Like you're never ever going to keep. And the minute you can get your head around that, because I've had sets before, mate, where I've played and I've just cut <clears> I've <throat> left the club, and I've said to myself, "That's it, I'm retiring. I'm not playing no more." Yeah. Because it's made me just think like you. Uh, every DJ has the nights where you leave the club, and you question whether you're still good enough yes. to keep yeah. playing. Everyone has that challenge, like, and, and I have it, and I speak to other friends of mine who. And I have them conversations and they say to me, they say to me, mate, I'm so happy you've said that because I have that happen to me all the time. And it's just one of the struggles that you go through. Like, it'd be the same as a footballer playing, playing a game and having like an off game or having like a few games where he doesn't really play to his full potential, not scoring and that. I'm sure those guys must start doubting their ability and if they're actually good enough to continue playing at that level. But Definitely. You are, but you are, but you've just got to give yourself a bit of a break. So you've done a lot of gigs, right? So what's been like the highlight for you in your career? I'd say, I'd say for me on a, on a personal level, just because, again, it goes back to the house thing, just because I love house. It's probably when I played in IB for like a couple of years ago. Yeah. I've done like a little circuit where I did like, I did like a set of Bora Bora. 
I played at Swanky's before it closed down, at Sankey's, sorry, before it closed down, and then um, done Ocean Beach Club as well. I think uh, into, uh, when you're abroad, it's like, it, it, it kind of like, it dawns on you how, not how well you're doing, but it makes you kind of appreciate the hard work you've put in. Because when you get bookings to go like abroad and stuff, it's yeah. like, you realise that, because that, obviously everyone has that goal for them. Well, most DJs will have that goal for themselves. They want to play outside the UK. So when you get to experience that, it makes it all that bit more special. <clears throat> Because you feel like you're actually living one of your goals and you're actually out there. But in terms of the UK, in terms of a, a, a club that I played in the UK, n for me, no club can touch Ministry of Sound. Ministry of Sound is number one in terms of yeah. the DJ setup, the sound in there, the lighting, the atmosphere that you can create. Um, so, yeah, Ministry is probably the best club in the UK. I think every, every DJ who's DJed there can agree with that. Like, I, don't, I don't think I've heard any DJ that, ha that hasn't played there saying it's not yeah, the like best club. It's a special, special venue. Like when you're there, like you just like, you just, the energy that you get and like it, it, it makes you play so much better because it's like, you know, Ministry of Sound is such an established venue. Yeah. It's been around for such a long time. It's so iconic that, again, it just it, it brings you that extra energy that you need to make sure that that set is going to be absolutely on point. Mm, definitely. So who in the um, DJ scenes you look up to? So like... Has, has that kind of changed like since you were growing up to now? Or has it kind of stayed the same or... You know what, like, obviously, when I, when I first started, when I first started DJing, it was obviously all about the garage guys, so I used to look up to, like, my influences in terms of my early musical, like, garage stuff was people like Matt Jam, Lamont, Todd Edwards, Dream Team, um, and all them guys, and obviously, as I moved into kind of playing in the West End and stuff, like, I met, so people that, that you'd know of, like, people like Sammy P, Max Denham, Colin Francis, DJI yeah. DJ, like, all them guys there, like, we all started practically, like, Kenzie, we all started our... DJ and journey in terms of London all around the same time because we were all mm -hmm. playing for the same promoters so it's been good to kind of see that like Colin obviously has always been someone that has been around he's slightly older than I am so Colin's always been a little bit further in terms of his career because when I yeah. used to promote the Scintillate they were booking Colin so I used to go out to places like CC Club and go and listen to Colin Francis when I was before I started playing professionally but <clears throat> it's been good to kind of see how like Sammy Porter is absolutely smashing it I respect Sammy a lot because Sammy started off as an open format DJ like the rest of us and he's kind of tuned into the fact that he wants to progress into the house stuff and his productions he's like crazy talented with his production he's doing really, yeah. really well Max Denham another one I've started out with Max like me and Max have been close for a long long time Max in terms of a hip-hop DJ is probably one of the best out there that I know personally um, and I always give credit where credit's due. Like Max Denham is a, he's a serious, he's a sick, talented guy. Like he's not, it's no joke. Mm. Um, I've got another good friend of mine who I owe a lot to in terms of helping me when I first started, and even up to this day now, is my friend Zarman. He's a guy called DJ Complexion. He's a yep. sick, sick hip hop DJ as well. He's one of my best best friends in terms of my music, my DJ friends. Um, but mate, everyone, you know, like I think anyone that's just doing their thing, anyone that's just like that's just putting in the work and like I've seen you like recently like you know I hadn't really seen much of you before but like I, you're on my radar now just because of the fact that your work rate in this lockdown has been hard I mean and I, and I respect and I appreciate bro, that that's, that's also because I'm I'm still young bro so like I'm still yeah. getting there like and I've been lazy with everything um, oh, mate, I can admit that we, yeah we all go yeah, but we all go through periods we've been lazy like I said that before like a lot of it is difficult when you're so busy you neglect the fundamentals like neglecting things like doing your mixes doing your yeah. promo stuff doing your like like i've never really live streamed before lockdown to be honest with you i've never really done live streams before it was always the mm. it was always mixes that i've had on mixcloud but never actually done live streams and you think to yourself like now i think back and i think why wasn't it why was i not doing live streams before like, yeah yeah definitely not, why was i not connecting with my audience before why have i waited to now to be forced to do live streams but um 
I just think I respect anyone that's just doing it and anyone that's just making it happen. Like a lot of people, I'll get a lot of messages sometimes and people will just say to me like, you know, oh, can you give me some advice on this? And I'll always give advice. Like there's no, there's no secret, like there's no really secret way or recipe to get into any level. It's just through like dedication, perseverance and just hard work. And I think one of the biggest things that people don't do nowadays because they rely too heavily on social media is people don't network enough. Like when I, was, when I first started DJing, there was no Instagram. It was no, like Facebook had barely just come out. So mm. you, you only met people through being out and forging those relationships. And that's where real relationships are made when you actually make time to speak to people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think people rely, don't get me wrong, social media is a powerful, powerful tool. But it's massive, massive. It's a massively powerful tool, but there's other ways that you can interact. And then I think the, the live stream stuff is, is, is a key point of that. Um, just about interacting with your audience and people that actually are interested to listen to one what you're playing or what you've got yeah. to say. You know what, for me, it's just been like, I don't want to come out of quarantine and be on the back foot where I need to network yeah. to still get gigs. Because like, I know like people like you, you've already got your residency sorted. So when you're going back, you're just going back to the same residencies kind of thing. Mm. So for me, I, I'm kind of trying to use this as a networking period. So people are like, yeah. you know what? This guy actually made movements in this in this period. 100%. I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see what he's about, and I'm yeah. gonna trial him on or whatever. Like, obviously, I've I've had loads of DJs say you should never tie yourself down to one person, which I never will because yeah, I've done that one time, and then the club closed down. And I had nowhere to go. That's what like, I mean. That's why. That's why I can't stress enough. I ne never never put all your eggs in one basket. You've got to yeah. be able to have multiple different people that you can call or when like you when you're when you're looking to fill your diary, you need like seven eight nine ten people you can say like these are my dates that i've got free tell me which ones you want mm. and they and they know that you're at a level where they haven't even got to think about booking you they just know that you're going to turn up you're going to do your thing and the night's going to yeah. be fine. and that's and that's the, the advice i can give you is yeah don't ever you said yourself that you're not going to do it you've done it before you've learned from that mistake you won't do it again yeah um, this is the worst thing like i was because i had a residency so every friday and saturday i was their main dj yeah every week and then literally, it, it wasn't even like I got told it was closing. It just closed. Like, yeah. on the Friday night, I DJed. Saturday, I get a call saying we're closing. That's it. Bro, you know what? I've had mad things happen to me. Like, where like, I'm not even kidding you. I've had... This is how deep it goes here. Like, and these are serious. I'm not going to mention names, but I'm talking about well-established venues that have been there for a long, long time. Like, yeah. I've, had, I've had emails come through on an evening where I'm meant to be going to DJ. And I'll get a random email and it will just be, um, there's changes going on. So-and-so-and-so-and-so is gone now. This person's been brought in. We don't need you tonight. And, and you won't be back no more. I just don't understand it. Like, but that's, 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 the, that's reality though, isn't it? Yeah, like, that's the reality of it. And that's the, and that's the mad thing. Like, and even me, like who I said, I've, and I've, been in, I've been in London for a long, long time. Like, the one thing that I think people need to understand about the DJ game is there's no loyalty at all. There's no loyalty. There's even no if loyalty. your friend is the manager of the club, he even, doesn't matter. It don't matter. Right, your friend, yeah, if your friend gets the chop next week and a new manager comes in and his brethren is a fucking DJ, you better believe your residency is going, boy, because he's yeah. empowering. That's simple as that. Plain Especially if he brings on a new DJ that's making him more revenue. Exactly. Like, or, or, or charging less money. Yeah, or charging less money, yeah. Or, and then the clubs are there to make money. So if, if the DJ's either bringing him more table bookings are going to make him more money, or he's charging him less, though, which means there's more money in his pocket, you're out the door. And that's the thing. Like, and what I think early in my career, I struggled with that a lot. Like, it was like, I'd, if I lost a booking, I'd batter myself. I'd be like, what have you done wrong? You must not yeah. have played well. I'll be overanalyzing everything. And it was my wife that taught me to actually, she was like, you need to understand that like, you can only control the controllables and, and do the things, that, like control the things that you can control. 
And mm. like, if someone loses their job or they change promoter or they're going to flip the night and you lose, that's not, there's nothing, there's nothing that you've done wrong. It's just, they're, they're, like, they're, just, they're just deciding it. They're just, that's it's it. Just one, yeah, it's just one of them things that you've just, you've got to learn to deal with. And like, and all them, all them experiences just make you, they just make you stronger as like, as an individual to be able to handle losing bits and pieces or getting rejections. Like, because everyone goes through rejections as part, yeah. part of the game. Like, so you're never going to have it all your own way. Do you know what I mean? So with the um, West End scene and like with a lot of scenes in, in the UK, do you think clubbing is going to more of a bottle service table thing and not for the love and passion of music? Or do you think it's just, just the certain areas of the city or certain parts of certain clubs? So West End, you're always going to have the bottle spends. Like the bottle, the bottle side of things in the West End is always going to be, because that's, the, the, the West End of London is famous for people going and spending money. People like to go mm -hmm. to West End, they like to go to Libertine, they like to go to Tramp, they like to go to... Tape. They like to go to the box. They like to go to surf. They like to have tables and have sparklers and like it, make, it makes them feel special. You're never. I don't yeah. think you're ever, you're never going to lose that. Yeah. Clubs, clubs outside of London. I think now what I've seen in the in the, I say certainly in the last five years since around 2015, the rave scene in the UK is hard right now. Like more, younger generation kids now. A lot of people going raves. Yeah. 100%. More people in the UK now that are under I say 20. I say under 28. I'm more interested. Yeah, all my to, friends want to go raves. They don't want to go clubs. Yeah, they want to. They want to go to Love Juice. They want to go to Abode. They yeah. want to go to like Solid Grooves. They're not. In, they want to go We Are Festival. They're not interested in going out. Like they'd rather not go out every week and then just go out on a blowout once a month and they'll yeah. crack on and do whatever they're doing. And this, that's how that. That's a big point there because like I've seen so many like even in my friendship group in the last two years, everyone's yeah. going to boat. Like yeah. before, everyone was going clubbing. Yeah, everyone's going to boat. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I do think that the, I do think the club, the club industry. From what I see, when I play guest bookings outside of London, yeah. I do a lot of stuff in Kent. I do a lot of stuff in like um, a few bits in Essex, and Essex has always got Essex is always all right because Essex has always had a good clubbing scene, so people will always go out in Essex. But the Kent round Kent area, some nights are just dead. Like they're just dead. Mm. Like and some nights are good, but there's no consistency. Like we. But even in London, like you can go to London clubs on a Friday night sometimes, and they'll probably like, they're like fifty percent empty, like literally half empty. And you're like, "Raw, what's going on?" No, I've had that. It's like I've seen when I've been out as well on a Friday night. I'm like, sure. "Why is there no one out?" That's but on a Saturday night or Sunday night, it's, it's packed. Yeah, Saturday and Sunday are the, are the two busiest. Like Friday is always hit and miss. Like, but the thing is, a lot of people remember as well. A lot of people nowadays. Bro, it's, it's expensive to go out. A lot, mm. of people can't, a lot of people can't afford to go out both nights. Especially after quarantine. I don't think a lot of people can go out. Yeah. Like, they say, pe like people say, I'm going to go out. But I'm like, have you even got the, the funds for it to go out properly? That's you know what I mean. What I, mean? Like, I think fr Friday nights are going to be like a real struggle. Because if anyone's going to go out, they're going to save them. They're going to save their going out day for Saturday. Or like you said, they're going to be going to events. They're going to be going to like... Yeah. The minute the festival scene opens up in this country, anyone that runs the festival is going to be, bruv, they, their tickets are going to be flying out like hotcakes, like, literally. Like, George Benson, them boys love juice. Like, George is another one that's absolutely smashed it. Like, George started Love Juice as, again, like a, like a it was a multi-genre, open format, hip-hop, yeah. R&B house around Essex. I've done a couple of things with George a long time ago. He used to come back to the West End a lot. And then, obviously, he pushed into the house thing. And Love Juice has just gone... Pfft, like Love Juice is one of the biggest, one of the biggest brands now. Like hundred percent, it's got getting booked in Dubai, Ibiza, Marbella, yeah, like everywhere. Yeah, he's absolutely smashed it with Love Juice. Like, and again, like mad respect to to him. And you've got other brands that are coming up. Like my friend Josh Hodges that runs Hush Events. He's got the Lafayette yeah. thing now that he does with Daryl Privet and J C Paul, and they're doing really big things as well. And I think that just shows you, like, 
a lot of the a lot of the guys that run normal club nights they're now starting um like rave events like festival mm. events because they just they see the market for it and why and why would you not what's been the best club you've dj'd in yeah i say in london definitely ministry and then abroad yeah the, the bits in ib for that i've done yeah, and, and my and Marbella as well. Like, I've done Marbella a few times. Um, like Ocean Beach Club, where it used to be called, it's called La Sala Beach. I used to be called Buddha Beach. Mm. Done there a few times. There's a club called um, Aquamist that was good. I shut yeah, down yeah, now. That was sick when that was popping. That was good. Uh, like Plaza and all that sort of places. Why is it about what is it about Marbella Ibiza that is different to London? Because like obviously I know it's a hot country, blah blah blah. But yeah. see, everyone says when they go there, the scene is just totally different. And it's just different vibes. Yeah. I think it's just the fact that when, whenever anyone goes on a holiday, obviously, like, your your spirit and your energy is just different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you've not got the same stresses and the same worries. It's like, an, however long you're there for, you're escaping reality for that for that amount of time. So, Do you think also because it's British culture over here that everyone's quite uptight and no one can, yeah. lose, like, loose themselves up a bit? I think so. I think, I think the UK, like, just in general, the UK attitude to being able to, like, everyone wanting to compete all the time with each other like it's a weird kind of attitude we have in the uk certainly in london like yeah how it's like it's a constant competition no one really wants to help no one no one really wants to support anyone no one wants to see somebody doing something better than that. it's like if you said to me like oh yeah can you support this if i if i if I, I would because that's the type of person that i am but a lot of people would be like hold on if i support that it's going to look like he's doing bigger moves than me mm. and that's going to benefit him more than i so therefore i can't support that and that's just a messed up mentality to have Every, that's the thing, and again, when we were go, I was going back to help, like at the start when people are kind of opening their eyes up now to like helping out other people during this time because they're actually realizing that just even a little little advice or little something can take someone like into a better place or further. Yeah, it goes a long way, and, I, I, and like I, you wouldn't you wouldn't get to your point if you didn't have people helping you anyway. Like, 100%, like obviously, use your skill as well, but you've had yeah. people on the way to help you. Ultimately, like, I, like I mean, a lot of my. A lot of my networking is what's got me in my bookings, but like ultimately, I, I still had to be given the opportunity to be able to actually play, and yeah. I give that, and I give thanks to anyone that's ever booked me or given me an opportunity to play a residency or a guest booking. Like any anyone that's ever booked me, that's why I'm always really thankful. And at the end of every year, when I look back through my diary, I always make it a point that I put up a post on all my socials, just saying, "If you've booked me this year, like from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You've allowed me for one more year to do what I love yeah. to do." Because realistically, without people booking you for club nights i wouldn't be working i wouldn't be able to pay my bills and literally do you know what i mean keep a roof over my head so any and, and, and everyone plays a part of that um that's why i appreciate a lot of djs now like they're seeing what i'm doing they're trying to put, help push it out as well giving it to other djs or higher up people as well and just like rusky for an example he yeah. helped me a lot like he got me to do dj charlie and nathan door so like that's just yeah. massive in itself there. yeah so, like, it's, a huge, it's, it's a huge platform for you straight away yeah you know I mean? so like it's just Stuff like that. It doesn't even need to be, oh, you need to get me this person or whatever. It's just like loads of people have been helping me on skills. Like Hursty as well been help, helping me. Selected yeah. Jay, who's Miss Bags DJ as well, he's been helping me. So there's there's a lot of people who've been kind of supportive yeah. in this. Yeah. But the thing but is, yeah, it's, it's, like, literally... it's like what you said there about the fact that like, you know, Rusty going out of his way to help you. Again, he didn't need to do that, but yeah, he didn't need to show to you that like, people are willing to help because like, you know, would you have been able to get Charles in that or, or Nathan on your channel no way not. no <laughs> way yeah. but, with, but with Rusky saying who obviously Rusky you're not being on a personal level with them guys I'm not like again I've, like Charles I've, I've, I've played with a couple of times I'm not yeah. I'm not super close with him but 
because um, obviously he's in Dubai now. But um, yeah, and the fact that Rusty even went out of his way to even to make that intro for you just shows that people are willing to actually help. And I just hope that continues on. I hope this positive stuff about people helping each other just continues. That's the, but I, I don't. I personally, I don't think it will. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But when everyone goes back into the clubbing scene, I feel like everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, it's just I'm, I'm yeah, just doing this for myself," kind of unfortunately, thing. Unfortunately, mate, I think that's probably the same. I think it's what's gonna happen. I think people are gonna they're gonna reform. They're gonna just revert back to for, true. That's form. how they work. Yeah. yeah. People are gonna they're, they're gonna get forgotten about quickly about like what we've all been through and. And the thing is that the minute it comes down to, you know, right now, like no one's earning money right now. So like mm. the minute you introduce financials to it and the minute- Everyone gets money, greedy about it. Yeah, the minute there's financial gain, it's all about, I mean, I'm out for myself. And if it, if it comes yeah. down to you or somebody else getting a booking and that person thinks, oh no, if I do this, that, then he might take that booking from me. But you, you better believe you're not gonna it's get- It's understandable because we're all human. We all do the same thing. Like we all do the same thing. We're all yeah, like, I don't want him to, because he might shell down the set. I don't want him taking my residency or something yeah, like that. Course. But. Yeah, so it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard line, but like, you, you have to kind of think about, I think what helps me is I always think back to people that have helped me, like what you just said there, like without people's help, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. So the way I try and think about it is like, if I don't help someone, like let's say for obviously if I didn't help you, you may not have the same opportunities that I've, and that, that I've had, and you, and you deserve as a human being to have the same opportunities as me. Yeah. Every, everyone deserves to have their shot. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. if you're working hard and you've got the talent to do it, or, and all you need is the opportunity to be able to go and show the people what you can do, then you've got, someone's got to give the opportunity to be able to actually go and do that. Do you know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. Because without so, the opportunity, then we're all just bedroom DJs. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, yeah, we're all in the same boat. And this is what I was saying. So tomorrow I've got um, Jordan Week from uh, IB for Weekender. And oh, he was Jordan, just saying yeah. this. He was just saying the same thing. He was like, bro, like, we're all in the same boat. We're all in our home, DJing our gardens or in our bedroom. So yeah. does, there's nothing separating us. Even if I've got a million followers or whatever, there's nothing separating us in that sense. Yeah, yeah like, I remember when uh, Jordan, like, used to come out, because when he first came out of the program that he was in, like, him and um, Gary from Geordie Shaw, I've known yeah. they came to, like, a couple of the club nights that I used to go out in Surrey and Windsor. And they was, um, like, long before Jordan started DJing, but, like, you know, Jordan's obviously started to DJ now. He's using his platform to do his thing. And it's like, you know, why not? Why, who says that just because he was on a reality TV show, he therefore can't try his hand at something else? Mm. I mean, there's that, that's the debate I'm going to bring up to him because there's a lot of DJs who, obviously, like you've had 15 years or 20 years, you know, DJing solid, mm. you know, like for the craft, for, the, for everything. And a guy with 600K followers just comes in, takes your set. It's a bit, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah, but... Yeah, it's, it a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough one. Like, I think if if the, if they're doing it for the right reasons, I think then I'm all for it. If they're if it's something that they've always wanted to do and they're willing to learn the proper way and learn the fundamentals and actually be mm. able to be a credibly good DJ, then I think why not? And who am I to stop them from doing that? But I've had I've had experiences whereby people who have been reality TV artists have been booked to do gigs that I've been at and they've come to do a guest slot. Yeah, and they've had to like. Um, I've had to set up their Serato box for them or they can't mix or they're mixed on a USB and they can't mix their USB track into my channel. They don't know how to set up. They, they don't know how to set up. They can't even beat match one track in from like a USB into my Serato. And I've had to like mix the first tune in for them or like give them the BPM of the track. And I'm like, if you can't even, it's like, it's, it'd, be like it'd be like me saying, I'm going to go, go and become yeah. a brick. I'm going to, I'm going to go and become a bricklayer. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't mix cement. <laughs> but 
How the hell am I going to build a house <laughs> if I can't mix cement? Do you know what I mean? If you can't mix cement, bro, you're not a bricklayer. Mm. So if you can't bro, bro. Beat, like for me, if you can't beat match, you're not a DJ, and that's just how it is. Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I, and that's fundamental. It's been that, that, and that's because I learned on turntables with no visual aids at all. It was all about using your ears and the struggle of learning how to like separate different beats and different sounds yeah. in your head to know to distinguish which one's going too far to which one's going too slow. And for me, if you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking technology because we all use it. Like I'm on an iPhone right now. It's brilliant. I wouldn't take a Nokia back. No way. But like, <laughs> I just think to myself, like, if you're going to be, if you want to be taken, if especially if you're coming from a background like reality TV, if you want to be taken credibly, Mm. Go and learn. Go and learn the craft, innit? So when you yeah. turn up at the venue and you shell it down, people say, "You know what? Fair play. You have done your thing." Mm. Bro, I didn't realize the time yet. I got, I, I got Jonas, innit? Yeah, we got, we got, we got to do this again. Definitely, yeah, we'll bro, def listen, like, we'll, bro, it's been good, man. Anytime you need it, bro, just shout. I'm here. Yeah, definitely. I'm gonna get through this week and then we'll we'll touch base over the weekend. Hundred percent. Bro, care. thank you. Yeah, take, take care. care. Thanks bro. everyone joining. Take care. Thank you.